Welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of the Tavern Voices podcast. I'm your host, Kevin King. And with me, as always, is my partner in crime, but no actual crimes, just, uh, you know, figuratively speaking, crimes. Uh, Tyler Crawley, it's good to Do see you. Do we have you. to uh, redo the intro? Because you said it was the, what, Tavern Voices podcast? Did you mean, yeah, I don't didn't you mean Tyler Crawley after hours? No, because I said last episode that that was not the Tyler Crawley after hours. You've got you've to keep up. I know you're getting old. <laughs> Slow. I'm going to let you believe it. I'm going to let you, you believe keep up with what's going on. that it's called the Tavern Voices one, but everyone listening knows what it's called. So we'll, we'll move on. It's okay. Yeah. You know, there's, there's nothing to redo and people can think what they think <laughs> because at the end of this discussion we're going to have, you know, people are probably going to be, um, you know, thinking one of us is crazy. I don't know which one yet. I'm okay with that label. I have no idea I'm okay which with one that. it's going to be. Hopefully one day I'll be rich and then I won't be crazy and then I'll just be eccentric, right? Isn't that how it works? You're eccentric when you're rich. No, that's exactly. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I was thinking about, um, you know, what we were just having a discussion right before we started about Trump. You know, he's not, <laughs> he's not ignorant, or, um, you know, he doesn't misspeak. He, he's just, he, he's just a rich guy who knows what's going on, and that that will be you. <laughs> oh my! Did you just kind of backhand compliment me by saying I'm like Donald Trump? Yeah, that's I appreciate that so much, so much so. Uh, but speaking of things that we know about, let's talk about guns and it, all of them. All of them. <laughs> what do you know nothing about? We, 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 we discussed this last week. You have no frame of reference, Donnie. <laughs> not, nothing at all. No, we did not. We did not talk about guns. Um, I'll tell you. We, and the reason why we, well, we got to bring it up is because uh, the story's heating up and – Obviously, we're hearing that Donald Trump in the in the administration is probably going to do something and Republicans probably will go along with it as long as it's nothing too ridiculous. But I got to tell you, what's amazing to me about guns and the debate is, and I guess a lot of the arguments are like this, but it's, it's I mean, the craziest tug of war ever because no one is willing to cede any ground because the other side looks at it. I mean, right now you have uh, the left calling anyone that's a member of the NRA arguing they have blood on their hands and are child murderers. And then you have people on the right who, if you're like, well, let's ban guns. Let's say someone under 21 can't buy a semi-automatic rifle like a AR-15. Oh, well, I guess you're trying to take everyone's guns away. And it's like, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, nothing. I mean, it, it, unless you completely get rid of the guns, everyone's still a child murderer. And if you try and do any little tiny thing that that changes the law, then you're for confiscation Australia style. And I guess other issues are like that, but this one just seems, I, I don't know, maybe the rhetoric and maybe because you're actually talking about people's like lives, you're talking about people dying and things like that. So it seems just that much more intense, but I don't know. It just, to me, it just seems like no one is willing to give up any ground because they're just worried about, like, I guess, a domino effect. Well, here, here's the issue. And, and this is what I want to talk about before. I don't know if we're actually going to specifically talk about guns or the proposed options on the table. But, you know, as soon as this tragedy happened, I opened Facebook and I like immediately closed it because there is no one on any side of the issue who could have a, a thoughtful comment about it. It was, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. And that goes for everyone on my newsfeed on both sides of the aisle. And I don't know what you can do that would be any sort of compromise or even any sort of rational discussion about it, even if no actions were taken. 
because you, the, no one is able to stop yelling at their computer screen long enough. And it really makes me think if this is what children are immersed in from the time, I mean, now kids have cell phones that I, I'm going to sound like I'm a hundred years old kids these days, you know, they've got cell phones yeah. at eight years old, but if, if, if they're on Facebook getting exposed to just you're right, you're wrong constantly. I mean, it's really affecting the, the stability of our country. It's, it freaks me out really that people are just locked into these silo echo chambers starting from the moment you put a screen in front of your face up until, you know, now everyone's grandparents are on Facebook that everybody's just entrenched in their corners. I I don't know. I don't know where you go from there. Well, and I also want to point out that you not only got older, but you somehow also got, you got Southerner. You're, you're, you got a little bit, a little bit more twang <laughs> when you, when you do that impression of yourself being older, Listen, so when you get older, apparently go back. <laughs> go, go back. I, just, always, I just wanted to point that out that as you nice, get older. Apparently. Okay. I've always been very nice to you about your Northern heritage. <laughs> I was born below the Mason Dixon line. All right. That is a geographical fact. Therefore I am Southern by birth. Um, even though no one wants to admit it. How much I'm sweet Southern tea do they have in Maryland, Tower? How much sweet tea <laughs> per capita is there in the state of Maryland? I was born in D.C. I was born in D.C. I was born in D.C. Which has even less sweet tea. I was about to say that's that's a worse, <laughs> that was a worse argument. They have uh, they have tea that has, um, uh, what do you call it, tofu, which is very similar, very similar in D.C. So that works. But I want to get back to the, uh, the debate because – yeah, I, it's interesting with social media because what really angers me is to see people who post videos that I know are, are just absolute BS and they're cut in a way that helps the people who are pushing them believe that their argument is correct. And that's both sides. I mean, and you know, you're seeing it right now with, you know, some of like, like the, the, the famous statistic that, you know, there's been 18 school shootings this year, which has been debunked. By I think even some mainstream outlets like the Washington Post, I think I can't remember if they were the ones that promoted that or if they were the ones that debunked it. I can't remember, but they just completely debunked that. But everyone was running with that argument, and then it got debunked. And okay, never mind. And now there's this crazy movement on the right that's being promoted by I guess it's Gateway Pundit is the guy that's promoting it. Which by the way, I used to like that guy. I, I think when we were at CPAC, he won the Blogger of the Year award. Jim Hoft, I think is his name, but he's just gone insane, uh, like Alex Jones insane. But they were posting about how these kids, uh, these students who are very outspoken and very liberal, by the way. And I've my argument's always been that I think that they were liberal before this happened. And that's why, you know, they're so liberal on the issue is that they just were liberals before. And this just sort of solidified that. Uh, but they're very well spoken and they've been out there and they've been very critical of the president and the Republicans. You know, they're the ones that have made the child murder arguments and the blood in your hands arguments. I mean, they're very... I mean, the rhetoric is just is is a little over the top, and I just don't I don't think it's going to do the job they think it's going to do. I don't think anyone's been uh, won over by someone yelling at them and telling them they have blood on their hands because they pay their monthly fee to the NRA. I think that's a little ridiculous. But there's this argument that they're uh, that they're actors who go from event to event, you know, kind of like the Sandy Hook, like the whole uh, false, you know, the, was it false flag, false flag uh, that yeah. That they basically there was an actual remember there was actually like a mil it was a military, uh, uh it was like a military uh, event they actually had you know the, the U.S. government had people go and kill those kids 
and then planted the gun and everything else on, on, on the shooter because they saw the guy running in fatigues is one of the arguments that was made. And now they're arguing that these kids are actors who go from crisis to a crisis to promote, which first of all, no one's ever seen them before. So I'm not sure why that makes any sense that they would go from event to event. Like, do they, you know, draw straws to see who's like the spokesman that time? I'm, I, I don't know, but that's the argument. I've seen videos and people post it and, and you just sit there and you go, all oh, 90% of Facebook, I'm pretty sure at this point, are just videos that have been doctored to make people feel better about the argument they already had before the debate started. And none of the videos are actually true. None of the interviews are actually you know, uh, factual. They're just completely doctored videos that make everyone feel good. And yeah, it's a problem. But at the same time, I mean, how's it any different than things were before? I mean, isn't that one of the arguments we've always had in this country that we always we like to hang out with carbon copies of ourselves. That that's you know, that was the argument for why we needed you know more uh, desegregated neighborhoods and desegregated this and desegregated that because you know whites, blacks, Hispanics, you know people of incomes, people of um, uh, backgrounds, we're all living with each other and we're all sort of only socializing with each other. And people have always criticized the fact that we do that as people, and now we're just doing it in cyberspace. So I, I think it's kind of the same thing, but we just now can see it and, 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 and kind of be disgusted by it, I think. Well, two things on that point. First of all, I heard a fascinating statistic the other day and it was, um, it was online. So I know it was true. Of course. And it said that um, your group, the group of friends that you hang out with or spend most of your time with, your incomes will all be within about 10% of each other over a 10 year period. <laughs> Go I hope that's true. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are such things as outliers. I'm at the however. bottom of my uh, most of my friends' uh, income pool, so man, I hope that's true. I love that. That's the best statistic. I've, that is a fantastic statistic. I'm glad you brought that up. So I if, thought you'd if, be excited to hear that. If we don't get there, do my friends have to redistribute their wealth to me in order to keep that statistic going? I, I feel like they should, right? Yes, okay. they do. Actually, that is a new law I'm glad. That, that has been passed. Um, the, the, the idea is, is is just that you pointed out that people act the same way who are together all the time. And, and it works that people assimilate themselves into, um, you know, into neighborhoods and cultures in which they, they want to be in and they start to act like each other. And it affects, it, it affects everyone in, in, in that aspect. So you're talking about whether it be income or where you live or, or things like that. So I thought that was a nice statistic you would want to. Well, and, and I did want to throw this in there, um, not to be too stereotypical, but the argument I've always made, and this is to me the best argument, um, at least from my perspective, is that when it comes to people that hang out with each other, I've always argued that people are either tennis players or they're golfers. And in my experience, golfers never hang out with tennis players and tennis players. I mean, they can be friends, but you know, come weekend, tennis players are going to go play tennis and golfers are going are to go play golf. Um, and, that, and, and, and maybe every once in a while you'll see some crossover, but it's not going to last very long. But there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't understand why I'm supposed to feel bad because I don't want to play tennis. And yet, I know that seems like a frivolous example, but it's the same for whatever it is. Um, and yet we're made to feel bad because we like certain things and want to hang out with people that we, you know, I don't want to talk golf with people that don't play golf because it's a stupid conversation because we're on different levels of, of um, knowledge. So I want to hang out with people that, that do the same things that I do. And, and like I said, golf's a, you know, my example. But if you're a basketball, you watch the NBA, you don't want to hang out with someone that doesn't watch the NBA. And yet we're criticized all the time that we want to do that. I don't get it. 
that has to be the most Caucasian <laughs> allegory I have ever it's heard. White. It's okay. There are two, there are two kinds of people. No, I'm tr- I'm trying to be sensitive here, Tyler. <laughs> this is not the Tyler Crawley show. There is some sensitivity involved. But no, you're exactly right. Don't you know that if if you if you don't sit down and talk with tennis players, then you are just unenlightened <laughs> and you can't understand their perspectives. And you will never reach a, a true level of understanding of how the world works unless you spend a day in a tennis player's tennis That's shoes. That's true. That is – I think um, a philosopher once said that. I saw it somewhere in a textbook. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but yeah. But, but to go, go ahead. Well, here, uh, well here's what I'm going to say. To go back to the point though, think of the, the genius in, in what Facebook does. Because I think Facebook does it way more so than Twitter or Instagram or any of the other social media platforms. It, it builds a chamber to where it reaffirms what makes you feel good, right? Yeah. That, I think that's the pure genius behind it is that people can sit down and if they want to believe that guns are the biggest atrocity that humankind has ever invented, they are fed that constantly with every scroll. If they think that everyone should should carry a AR15 into Chipotle they get that in their feed 24/7 and it just reaffirms their beliefs to to where they they aren't challenged they just think that golf is the only sport they don't <laughs> want to see what tennis players are talking about they don't even want to talk they think tennis is the worst sport ever and they want to block tennis from coming into their realm and if anybody brings up tennis they're going to attack tennis and i like how this is now our official analogy <laughs> you are very welcome but but that's why people love Facebook. Well, that, that is that's true. what it does for them. It's it's an emotional and psychological, uh, you know, variable that has changed the way our society interacts. At least before, if you wanted to hang out with golfers, you had to actually go play golf. Yeah. Now you just scroll through golfers. Exactly. It's a very different interaction. Well, and that that is very that is very true. And what's interesting to me is that you know obviously Facebook's facing a lot of feedback for all the Russia propaganda uh, and this whole you know Russia trying to meddling in our in our elections and then buying social media ads. But what's interesting is that one of the ways they're trying, and also the fake news, they're trying to combat that um, with this argument that, okay, because the, what, what they've done is that people that have like professional pages, you know, like Tavern Voices on Facebook, if you'd like to uh, join up, go ahead. Uh, but what they've done is they've. Facebook.com slash. Exactly. There voices. we go. What they've done is they've said that these pages are no longer going to appear uh, in people's feeds unless a friend shares something that we post on Tavern Voices. And they said, oh, you know, this will help. I don't know what they thought it was going to do, but the reality is, is that, I mean, let's face it. If I were to ask everybody that's listening, if I were to ask you, I know, you know, I look at my feed and I know. We all know the people on our feed who post nothing but like the most ridiculous stuff ever, like the, like the biggest examples of an echo chamber ever. We know who those are. I mean, every time I see a post and I'm like, that is the most, that's the dumbest thing. I know who posted it. I don't have to look at the name. And so you're actually, I think this is going to exacerbate the problem because everybody that buys into those stories and are friends with those people, all they're going to do is see that more often and say things that, you know, I might post on say like my official page, you know, for my radio show, they're not going to see unless someone, unless someone, you know, uh, shares it as well. But those people who are into the fake news are never going to see it. And the people that you know like the fact that I'm not posting that stuff, they're going to see what I'm posting. But it's all it's going to do is make the echo chambers even more uh, specific. It's going to it's going to be even worse. They they haven't solved anything. They've actually made it worse. And you know it, it's weird they went in that direction. Uh, now you could argue conspiracy and say that this was you know 
a lot of people from Facebook that have left the company have said that they know what they're doing and that this isn't, you know, that they are very well aware. As Marco Rubio said, you know, uh, what was he famously said in the debate? Oh, I can't remember now. Something about Donald Trump and how don't pretend he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing about, I mean, about Obama. I think Facebook knows exactly what it's doing and it's creating uh, smaller and smaller echo chambers for people to sort of cocoon themselves in. And it's actually going to make the problem worse. It just, it, it's amazing to me that people act like that was a solution when in reality it was actually a, a way to make it worse and to make people more reliant on Facebook. No, it is because, I mean, and, and let's face it, Facebook is not, um, you know, Facebook is a source. It is not a journalistic standards. It is not, um, you know, it's not meant to be a place where you find primary source information. It was meant to be a place where kids find keg parties in college, right? This let, let's not forget what this stemmed from, yes. right? It was it was you added the 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 cute girl from across the classroom in college as friends, and that's where you found out what the social gatherings were going on. And that's what Facebook was, right? Now it has become a place where people could connect and 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 meet up with friends they haven't seen in a long time, keep up with what they're doing. Like there was a lot of positives to it, but then it just became a place where people share things they already believe in. So it just becomes a, it's a rumor mill. It's the same thing as people used to pick up the phone and daisy chain and call and, and talk about the neighbor that moved in down the street, right? Now we just do it digitally. So. Well, but there was also more connection with that though. I mean, the, the one thing that Facebook's done is that, you know, and they're saying this about young kids nowadays is that they, you know, they do these, they, these interviews with, with these kids in high school and younger and they say they don't have any friends because all they have is acquaintances or acquaintances. And, and you're seeing the same thing, I think, that's it, it, and it's permeating into adult life where we now have more people that we're friends with on Facebook, but we actually have fewer people that we actually hang out with. I, I, I mean, I'll tell you, there's one fascinating narrative that I've seen develop that I've seen a few articles on. Every, one, every, every couple of months, I'll see an article on. And they're, they're, they're more frequent, but they're talking about how you know we, we hear all the time about um, how the uh, life expectancy for especially whites uh, is sort of going the opposite direction for the first time, first time like in American history, uh, uh, a, a certain class of people, their life expectancy is actually dropping. And they talk about you know drugs and alcohol, and they call it the um, I can't remember what they called it now. Uh, the the I can't it's, it's some sort of term they have for it, uh, but it's like depression. I mean, it's people that are basically doing things to to remove themselves from reality. They're taking drugs, they're drinking, they're smoking, they're doing all these things. But they said that what is, is going to be a huge problem is loneliness because people don't have connections anymore. You don't call anybody anymore. You text, you Facebook message, you do all these things, but you're never actually talking to somebody and you get like a momentary high from the text or the, or the message, but you don't feel good like a couple minutes later because you, don't, you didn't actually meet that person. You didn't actually talk to that person. And they said that that without that human contact, there's there's something there's something to that. There's something that's physical. There's something all involved in you know meeting with people and and you know talking with them and having dinner and just you know having someone there with you. And we're not doing that anymore. And it's it's a really it's going to be a really big problem in this country uh, because we're we have more acquaintances, but we have fewer friends. In some cases, none that people can you know talk to if they have a problem. And I don't know if it's going to be self-correcting. Some of our, you know, I think it was the, the CEO of Victoria's Secrets said that smartphones are a fad. 
and they eventually go away. I don't know if that's true, uh, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be self-correcting or, or, and if it's not, how do we solve it? I mean, I don't want the government getting involved and telling people they have to go to you know lunch or dinner with people <laughs> to keep human contact. But I don't. I don't know how you solve this problem uh, without us maybe reaching some sort of pinnacle and then we start going the other direction. Right. No, I, I think that you are dead on. And that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier with Facebook is, is now you have kids in a completely different environment and you see changing behaviors because of this. And, you know, I, if I've seen someone post, you know, it's a mental health issue a thousand times on Facebook, I get it. Just the same as everyone says it's a gun problem, right? I, that's not the path I'm going down. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to figure out though is is what is going on because I do think that social media is affecting people's behavior. There's a lot of studies talking about how social media creates envy and depression. And like you said, the people are chasing highs with phones. They want that next text message to pop up. It becomes a, an addictive behavior. And I just um, have up a, an article from Time Magazine talking about how the um, youth suicide rate doubled from 2007 to 2015. You know, so, so there there are a lot of, of of external factors causing something to go wrong, and I don't know what that answer is, but there there, there are a lot of underlying, you know, there, there's a disease causing the symptoms to show up. Right? All all yeah. we keep talking about are what the symptoms are, but we're not talking about what's going on under the surface. You know, if you just keep treating a fever, but you don't know what's causing it, you're not doing you're not doing the patient any good. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, it's, it's so hard to figure out what it is. I, I was talking to someone the other day and we were talking about the shooting and I said, to me, this is like a all of the above problem where every ingredient is what leads to the final meal. And so I don't think it's guns. I don't think it's TV. I don't think it's video games. I don't think it's 24-7 news. Uh, I don't think it's social media. I think it's everything. I think everything is creating a perfect storm. That is, that's why we're seeing an increase in mass shootings. And we think solving one of them is going to be the answer, but the reality is, is that it's, it's, I mean, it might, it, it might do a little something, but to really get us back to where we were, I think we need to look at how, how much everything's changed and adapt to it uh, properly. Uh, because I mean, let's face it, we are, I think, I don't know if there is more mental health or if we're just more aware of it, but mental health is a big issue. And so what's causing this increase in problems with, with, you know, the mental health of people where it's leading to people, you know, committing these crimes, you know, I, I, I don't know. But the, the reality is, is that, you know, we keep forgetting is that crime besides mass shootings is down significantly. I mean, almost it's hard to chart how significant crime has dropped in this country, especially major cities. Uh, it's down significantly. And so it's weird that there's only one outlier and that is mass shootings. And it's clearly not a gun issue, but it's also, it doesn't mean that, hey, doing something with guns. Like, let me ask you, because you're someone that has more experience with guns than I do. I mean, is there anything wrong with saying that a, a, a 19-year-old shouldn't have an AR-15? I mean, I, I just, I don't understand why that would be just like the end of the world for some people. If we, if we did it. I mean, it would have stopped this last one, this lap shooting, if he wasn't able to buy one. So let's say we go ahead and do that. Some people are, are angry that that's even being proposed. I, I, I don't see with the, how that would be the end of the world. Well, I mean, let me ask you this, Tyler. How many AR-15s were used in Columbine? None. Not that I know of. Right. They, used something. Exactly. they had some and sort of rifle, though, didn't they? Didn't they have something? They had shotguns. Oh, they had shotguns? Okay. Which, 
Yeah, I mean, 18 years old, you can walk in and buy a shotgun. Yeah. And to, to be perfectly honest, I mean, and I hope this isn't going too far into detail, but, you know, an AR-15 shoots a very low caliber, low caliber bullet. Try saying that three times fast. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it's, it's not intended to inflict damage. In fact, you know, NATO rounds were invented to where it's supposed to be more humane to shoot someone in combat multiple times than to shoot them once and kill them with something high caliber. That's why you have this, you know, two, two, three, five, five, six NATO round, right? Which is what it fires. It's very, it's smaller than a nine millimeter. I mean, you're going to inflict more damage with a handgun, right? Yeah. You're going to inflict way more damage with a shotgun. I mean, if you're talking about a school shooting, you're talking about Virginia tech, you know, when you're, when you're talking about lining people up, mass execution, it doesn't matter what it is. And in fact, you know, the, the age thing I will, I will point out, I think the difficulty is, is generally the reason handguns are a different age bracket is they have, you know, seated. It's in, infinitely easier to, to um, conceal a handgun, right? You can, you can buy a long rifle or a shotgun or anything that isn't very easily concealable at 18 because you can't just, you know, walk that into the movie theater in your pocket, right? Yes. Um, so, I mean, that's a couple of points. Does that answer your question at all? Well, but the thing is though, I mean, clearly the AR-15 stands alone. I mean, the last like four shootings, an AR-15 was involved. And so I don't know if that's video games or movies or the other prior shootings that are glorifying it, but there's something that, that mass shooters are gravitating towards the AR-15. Now you're right. The deadliest school shooting in American history, Virginia Tech, two handguns, semi-automatic. Which is why I've argued that I don't think someone under 21 should have a semi-automatic weapon. I actually think that we should get rid of the ban on uh, handguns and say, you know what, if you're a teenager, uh, or you know, if you're 18, obviously over 18, and you want to buy a revolver, okay, fine. If you want to buy a you know more traditional hunting rifle, and I would even say maybe limited to a uh, single shot, and say you want to have a single shot rifle, that's fine. But allowing people who are under 21 to have access to guns that, you know, have an extended magazine. Like I said, I, I think a single shot rifle. So if you want to go into a school and shoot it up and you want to go somewhere and shoot it up, but you have to reload after every shot, that's going to, I mean, this kid did all of his damage, killed 17 people in six minutes. Six minutes, if you have to load your gun every single time, it's going to be significantly more difficult to, uh, 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 kill well, people. Every, every mat, every mass shooting is under what, like nine and a half minutes. Yeah, every I mean, one, every super quick. That, That's why handgun, shotgun, what, no matter what, fertilizer, bombs, like it, it, it's quick. It's not sustained. And I think that's that's one of the other points well, too. Is you're not talking about kind of long though. Well, they didn't know how to respond. Well, that's what I'm saying though. I mean, we, we've changed that, but I mean, Columbine went on for a little while. You know, they went to the library. They were shooting. I mean, they were they were they were they were all over the place shooting people. Uh, and they didn't know how to respond. They were waiting outside. They've never seen anything like now the response has changed, but it happens really quickly. And you also saw, I mean, the one thing that stood out to me in the shooting in uh, Parkland was you had people who were trying to help other. I mean, you had, you had the football coach who, uh, Aaron Feist, who, you know, put himself in front of the bullets and lost his life because of it. You had the JROTC student who was helping people in. And so there were people who clearly were willing to put their, put their lives on the line to save other people. And if someone has to load their gun, that person could have, could have charged that guy 
And I mean, let's face it, that kid, I mean, most of these shooters, these guys have never faced adversity. You know, they've never had, like, I mean, that's why I'm for arming teachers. I mean, you don't have to be a good shot. You just fire a bullet back at somebody. Those kids are going to crap their pants and run the other way. I mean, you have to train soldiers to not do that. I mean, that's your natural instinct. You hear a gunshot, you're going to run. And these kids have no training. And I'll tell you, I don't care how tough you think you are. So a bullet whizzes by your head. I don't care how close it is. You're going to think twice about whether or not you're going to start going after that, go in that direction, or you're going to run the other way. And so, or if someone runs at them, I mean, just anything you can do to limit the carnage in those first couple of minutes. And that's why I said maybe even a revolver. It's only six shots, uh, a single shot rifle. I mean, anything that they don't have access to that will allow them to do maximum damage in that short period of time. And I get it. I get the black market argument. I get that. But anything, like I said, you can make it harder for this person. This guy went in and bought bought the gun. I mean, he had no background that would have limited him from buying it. And so just make it harder. That's that's my only argument. I know it's still going to happen. But if you can make it harder for that guy to get that gun, I, I think it's a win-win for everybody. I mean, obviously, there's philosophical differences, right? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and 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 that's why where I come down on this is it's very difficult, you know, because I do understand the emotions beside, you know, in, involved in each one of them, and you want to do something, and that was what I was thinking of recently is why is this why is the gun control debate continuously come up? No matter what goes on in the country, there is always a gun control debate following an instance of a mass shooting, no matter who does it, right? It just schools are morally perhaps worse, I guess, if you get in some sort of equivocation of it, than say someone who shoots up a movie theater, right? Is, is it shooting at a school worse? You know, you're still killing people. I don't know. But I was trying to think of why this discussion always comes up. And I think, you know, what it is, is it's, it's like you're bringing up now. What, you know, isn't there something we can do? Because in every other situation, there's nothing you can do. If you, there's nothing you can do to keep you know, someone from taking down a plane wrong, right? We learned that in 9-11. There's nothing you can do when someone rents a Home Depot truck and drives it down the sidewalks in New York. There's nothing that you can do when someone puts a pressure cooker at the finish line of the Boston Marathon, right? There, there's literally nothing you can do. This, these are just terrible acts. You can't prevent them. You can't, you can't ban all the ingredients. But there's, there's the emotion that you can somehow do something about guns because they are a category that a lot of people don't use, frankly, right? I mean, e- e- even casual carry people or people go through a concealed carry class or something like that, they go, well, why do you need an, an AR-15 or why do you need this or why do you need that? And so I think that's why this discussion keeps coming up. But I, I feel like if you look at them all the same, w- what could you change, right? I mean, I- I- if he couldn't have gotten that gun, would it, would it have stopped? Would it have never happened if he could not have bought that one particular gun on that one particular day? Yeah, I mean, it could have. It could have. We could have. I mean, there's a lot of couldas, right? Well, I know. But the thing is that we don't know until we actually – I mean, the here's the problem is that we had an assault weapons ban from 94 to 2004. Not a lot of mass shootings happened at that time, but not a lot of mass shootings happened at all. Uh, before that and even after that, it wasn't until – I mean, obviously we had Columbine, but, you know, the assault rifles weren't used. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem is, is the AR-15 seems to be the gun of choice of mass shooters. 
Now, why are they choosing that weapon? I don't know. Like, I don't know who's glorifying it. Why are they, why are they gravitating towards that weapon? I don't know, but they are. And so, I mean, if, if it turned out <laughs> that, you know, you talked about cars earlier and we've seen terrorists use cars to, to run people over. If it turned out that like in every instance, a terrorist was using like a Buick Regal and they were constantly using a Buick Regal to run people over. Do anything in society would be like, hey, you know what? Maybe we should get rid of the Buick Regal. Maybe that's what's causing it. And we could see if that's what it was. And that's kind of where we are. It seems it's I mean, the last like three shootings, an AR-15 has been used in the last like seven. I think five have been AR-15. There's a reason these guys are flocking to it. I don't know what it is. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I have no idea, but I, I'm just, I'm not saying I want to ban the gun. I'm just saying, let's, you know, in this case, the one thing we could have done is made it harder for this guy to get a gun. Now did the, unfortunately the last two shootings that we've seen, uh, the war, I think it was the last two, there was one in Texas, uh, at the church. And then we had, uh, the school shooting that was absolute bureaucratic fault. There were people who were warning about these guys, the one in Texas. They, there were three things this guy did that should have prevented him from buying a gun. They weren't put in the, in the database. Background checks only work if the databases are updated. So that was a bureaucratic uh, uh, fault. That was not the AR-15. And even in this case, it wasn't the AR-15. So he, he might have been able to get access to something else, but we know he couldn't have gotten a handgun because he wasn't old enough, but he was able to buy this gun. And like I said, he should have been stopped because his name should have been in the computer. Uh, but the thing is, is that we as conservatives, one thing we do know is that you can't trust bureaucracies to work. So if we have to assume that they're not going to work, then do something definitive, which would be say, okay, no one under the age of 21 can buy an AR-15. There we go. That stops that problem from existing. We don't have to worry about threats or anything else. You just can't get one. So this kid would not have been able to buy that gun. Would it have stopped this one? I mean, it would have stopped him from using an AR-15. Would he use something else? I don't know. Uh, but I just think that there's this knee-jerk reaction um, that I, I hear so often where it's like, well, he would have you know, used – and it's maybe he would have. But I would have liked if it was more difficult for him to get an AR-15 because that might – I mean, a lot of these guys are lazy. A lot of these kids are – you know, I mean, they're, they're the losers. Losers tend to be lazy. He might have been like, well, I was going to do it, but now I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really think that. He might have been like, well, if I have to jump through all these hoops, I'm not going to do it. I mean, this kid didn't know who to buy an, you know, uh, an AR-15. He didn't know where, where to buy bite out of someone's trunk from. This guy didn't have connections in the underworld. Uh, there's no way he would have known where to buy one that was illegal. So I don't know. It might have stopped him. But I don't know. I don't know how you prove that unless we try it and see what the effects are. And if there's, and if we still see mass shootings, then I say, okay, let's stop it. Let's, 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 that's why, that's why we sunsetted the original assault weapon ban, but maybe try that again this time and say, okay, anyone under 21 can't buy one. And if we still see problems, then, then we say, okay, when and it sunsets, but if it works, then, Hey, we've, that's a win-win, I guess. I mean, the, the way I look at it goes back to the, the, symptom and disease problem. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm more concerned at what is, what is driving people to say that I want to go harm a school full of people. What's causing that? Because I think until we address that, it doesn't matter what you potentially ban, even if you're in a vacuum and you could say, yeah, let's just, you know, pr 
prevent this person from getting any sort of dangerous objects, right? Like maybe he just had a knife and went in and stabbed two people and got taken down, right? Let, let's say best case scenario, that's what he did. You know, have, have we fixed the underlying problem? I don't know. Well, but the thing, but the thing, I mean, let's face it, mental health problems exist. Um, I mean, you have people, I mean, you ever, you ever read these stories about these people that are on meth and are on heroin and they like, know they're destroying their lives and they can't stop. And you realize that a lot, a lot of the people that get on those really heavy drugs, they do have mental problems. Other people just get addicted. You know, they, they live a party lifestyle and before they know it, you know, they're addicted to heroin. But the thing is, is that what do we do? Do we go, oh, well, you know, they're going to, they're going to do those drugs anyway. No, we try and limit their access and say, what we're going to do is try and prevent this person from getting to that point where their life is completely ruined. And we don't just go, cause like I said, the one thing that drives me nuts about, about uh, some of the arguments, and I don't know how we, how this became such a prominent argument is that people say, well, they're going to use guns anyway. And if they have to, they'll get them illegal and they'll buy them out of someone's car and, or they'll find another way to get them, they'll steal them or whatever. And it's like, okay, I get that, but we're trying to prevent that behavior. And so by making something illegal, it's supposed, is, is it going to drop it to zero? No, not, no, no law we have drops the participation rate or usage rate to zero, but we try and limit it. If we can do, you know, we can see a decline by 10, 20 people talk about prohibition. They say it didn't work. Actually it did work. If you look at, you know, the alcohol related crimes that happened around that time, like public intoxicate intoxication and people driving while drunk and all these things, not that in the twenties people were pulled over a lot for driving drunk, but crimes that people committed um, or people that were, like I said, publicly intoxicated or uh, situations like that significantly dropped off. So people did stop drinking because it was more difficult to get alcohol. It just, you know, we, we, we decided, okay, we're, we're, we're going to get rid of that, but I guarantee instead. you. Yeah. Well, you just had exactly. mass but, <laughs> organized crime. Right. Well, I'm not, well, yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, and, 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 you know, we went after those guys and everything else. But the reality is, is that, yeah, I mean, you know, making drugs illegal is helping MS-13 and other gangs and everyone else out there. And yet we still say, hey, you know what? We should discourage people from using cocaine and heroin and meth and everything else because we know how bad it is. And like I said, most laws, all we're looking for is I mean we're seeing that with uh, the marijuana laws in in states where marijuana is legal the usage rate is up more people are doing marijuana because it's legal when something's illegal it discourages people from doing it even if it's not that harsh of a penalty there are just some people that aren't, aren't going to do something that's illegal and so no one's looking for a zero percent gun death rate if we ban a certain gun but if we stop mass shootings by ten percent or twenty percent I, I I mean is that worth it? That so we say someone can't buy an AR-15 at a certain age, but we stop some. We stop, you know, the, the, the mass shootings drops. Like I said, I mean, well, that'd be no different than any other law, and it, it, it and and it wouldn't be necessarily a violation of the Constitution, as I think most people would read it. And so I think that that's the big debate: Are we willing to say, okay, what is a success if we were to do this? That's the debate we need to have. What's a success? Let's let's try it. If we don't see that, then the law goes away. If we see it, though, we'll keep the law on the books. And I know people are afraid to do that, but I feel like that's kind of the debate that we need to have. No, I mean, to prove a point, I've actually thought the, the same thing that you're saying is let's just go ahead and ban everything with a, a very hard set sunset. 
on, on the law and see what difference it makes. Because if, if they are so prevalent, you'll see a very, a very obvious difference very quickly. Yeah. Um, but the, the, you know, to play devil's advocate, I mean, how much has underage drinking gone down? What do you mean? Like in, uh, I mean, like society, I mean, you have to, yeah, you have to legally be a certain age to go in and purchase That's it. True. Right. No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. And, and I'm not, a lot of people argue that marijuana, I mean, let's face it, how many people are on meth and heroin and all this other stuff. And that's completely illegal. I'm not, I'm not saying that the drinking rate hasn't gone up. The question is, would 18 year olds drink more or less if drinking at 18 was legal? That's, that's well, I've always heard that they would drink less if it were legal at 18. Well, no, no, no. You're talking about when you compare with other you're countries. You're talking about consumption of an individual. I'm talking about how many people would be involved and would start drinking at 18. I would think that that rate would go up. Now, you're right. That, that That's another debate entirely about the individual consumption, which I think has been proven. Right, because they say they binge yeah. drink more because it's- Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. There's a lot of evidence that that's true. What I'm arguing is the overall population. How many 18-year-olds are not drinking now, but if you legalized alcohol, would start drinking? Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, and that's an interesting point because, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've, I've, I've seen them talking about lately is actually gun ownership is at a low level as a country as far as people who own guns. True, but there's more. So that's the question. There's more of them though, right? Yeah, there's more guns per capita, but individual owners is a smaller amount. So why is gun violence going up when there's fewer people owning guns, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is because a lot of major cities, you can't own a gun. And if you think, if you look at what's happening with our, uh, our, the sort of alignment of this country is that people are moving more and more to the coast and leaving middle America. And so you're seeing... You know what? A million people live in Raleigh now. And so I don't know what Raleigh's gun laws are. But if you look at places, you know, you know, look at major cities like D.C. and Los Angeles and Chicago, they have very strict gun laws. Not a lot of people own guns that live there. The ones that do are usually some pretty bad apples. And so I think that what you're seeing is, is that the people that do live out of the city, they own more guns. But the people that live in the city don't own any and more and more people are moving to the city. I think that's why you're seeing the gun ownership rate decline because people are moving places where guns, you know, average citizens don't have them because either you have to jump through tremendous hoops uh, or it's too expensive or it's just, you know, it's, it's, or they're banned outright. I, I mean, I know DC versus Heller was supposed to stop that, but there are a lot of cities that still have that. They're, they're, they're essentially bans because they make it so hard to get one that no one can get one. And I think that's why you're seeing the rate go down and sort of the, the amount that one person does have go up. Well, it'll be, it'll be interesting to follow Tyler and, and you enjoy your communist gun grabbing philosophies <laughs> and I'll enjoy my freedom, red meat grilling out on a, on a 4th of July, you know, liberties. Just, All right. And we'll just agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> on on the selective allocation of of civil just, rights. Okay, we'll just I, leave it at that. I just also want to say because I've got a lot of comments on this that people keep saying. To, you, I had one guy say, "Well, you only own one pistol. You don't even own a rifle, so you can't talk about rifles." I just want to point out that if debate was limited to somebody who had to experience something to be able to be involved in the debate, uh, our society would be a lot worse off. <laughs> because I mean, that's the whole point: is that 
you don't have to experience something firsthand. You can, you know, read about someone else. And so there, for some reason, guns are the only one I get this criticism on. Yeah. Nothing else. Uh, even though my, my travel outside of the United States has been zero, I, t- I can talk about other countries and no one ever talks about how, oh, you, you've never been there. You can't say anything. Yet, whenever I talk about guns, people give me flack. Like, I, I don't know enough that I can't talk. I, I haven't experienced guns enough. So I just think that's like a weird a weird argument that seems to pop up and it's, it's 100% not true. You don't have to experience something to be able to talk about it. No, I, I completely agree. And, and that's why I... It, it, it's hard to to really get into it because everything is so polarized. But th- I mean, that's the feeling that I have is it has absolutely nothing to do with the gun, the type of gun, anything. I, I don't think that that is that is a cause. I don't think. I, I think it's it's just the means you know that people are using every every day. I drive down raleigh interstates that are awful surrounded by people who had to pass a written test and a driving test and pay money to get a permit to drive a vehicle and they cannot do it at all fundamentally they're bad at it they my life is in danger on a daily basis on the roadways of 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 north carolina and and so that's why you know i look at other other examples and i go well let's say that you did have a a strength you know a, a very strenuous process you had to go through to buy a, a, a gun, right? Because yes, you can go in and buy a long rifle in a, in a relatively short period of time and you have to go through a background check, which I think background checks are relatively useless because they only work if you've done something previously. It's not anticipatory, but you know, would that make only good gun owners at that point, right? Because the evidence I see says we have really bad car owners regardless of the hoops they have to go through. So I don't know. I just, I, 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 I just, I don't think there's a good solution. And I know that's yeah. a weak answer, but I, I don't, I don't think tomorrow, if you could write up, if you had the students who are protesting, write a bill tomorrow and get it passed. I don't think it would well, make much difference. Yeah, I, I, I don't. And maybe I'm just a pessimist or, you know, I just, I, I don't think that you can legislate problems away. I've never. Well, no, that. that's, that's why, you know, one of the other problems. And that's why I said, if, if, if I had a magic wand, and you could say, okay, let's get rid of 24-7 news. Let's get rid of, you know, the violent movies, violent video games. Uh, let's, you know, go back and everyone has a two-parent household. And we were able to limit gun technology. I think, yeah, I think that would reduce uh, mass shootings. But I think that we're just dealing with one isn't going to work. And so that's why people that go, oh, we need gun control – and it's like, all right, okay, fine. It's like, all right, I, I will back your gun control if you then also back um, you know, some type of movement to go about bringing about the two, you know, s- supporting and advocating for two-parent households. And the left would be like, no, you can't tell people how to live, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, aren't you doing that with guns? Like, I mean, it's just, that's the problem is that I think it's like, like I said at the beginning, it's an all of the above problem and you're never going to get an all of the above solution. And so I guess we can try a little stuff, but even if we did, even if we ban and did all the things they're asking for, I, I think it would have a little bit of effect. And that's why I said, we have to figure out what we would consider a success, like a 1% drop, a 10% drop, 20% drop. And then we could, we could say, okay, was, was that worth it? But yeah, I think it, it, it's not going to solve all of it because there's more to the story that we know about from this kid. Uh, and most of the kids that are in the situation that that needs to be fixed, but we're going to run out of time. 
and I, I real quick wanted to go back to what I said about you don't have to experience something to be able to argue one way or the other. For example, you do not have to be a participant in pedophilia to know that pedophilia is wrong. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because we <laughs> quite the example. Tom. Where are you going? Where are you going with this one? Yeah. Am I going to have to edit all of this out? I don't know because what's going on. There is a story on the News and Observer, and this is this has been going on for like about a day or so. So there's a new website that popped up. It's supposed to be a Trump dating website, and it's supposed to link Trump voters together. Because yeah. I, I, listen, I'm on dating websites. I'm single, and yeah, I see girls all the time that'll be like, "Not a Trump fan." You know, I don't like, you know, I'm a liberal or whatever, but I see also see Trump supporters and girls that are conservative. So I want to point out that any, anyone that argues that these sites are biased or it, it, it but you do see ones that will, will, will talk about that. And they're obviously more vocal. And if you're in a big city, you're probably going to find more liberals. Are they, are they biased against you? Though? Yeah. Well, well I feel like Dr. Phil now. Are they biased? <laughs> they're biased against me for other reasons. How do they make you feel? aren't political, but this website was created to help Trump supporters find other Trump supporters and date and everything else. And there was a couple that they chose for the front page of the website, a success story for them to Trump voters. And what's before you wait, 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 wait a second. Before you get to the, the point of this, I just want to, ha, has this app been, ha, been um, given to any of the political parties yet? Cause I know they are trying to find Trump supporters and figure out who they are. <laughs> So you might you might you might want to let the 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 DNC and the GOP know about that. But anyway, well, continue so with yes. your story. I, I, I don't even know if it's an app. I know it's a website. I'm not even sure if it's if it's an app or, or what's going on with it. But it's it's a website. There's a website for it. And there was a North Carolina couple that was like a success story. Like oh, they're both Trump supporters and they're great. And I remember seeing a headline Monday morning about this Trump or this uh, North Carolina couple that was on the Trump dating website. And then, not surprisingly, once something goes national, uh, it turned out that the guy in the photo uh, had been convicted in like the 90s of, I guess it was, uh, indecent liberties with a minor. And what they said, according to the article, and I want to make sure I read this properly, because to me, this I I don't understand. This guy's got to be... He's got to be a sex offender, I got to assume. In 1995, Barrett Riddleberger was convicted in Guilford County of felony and decent liberties with a child. Uh, They reported that the conviction stemmed from a video of him having sex with a 15-year-old when he was 25 years old. I mean, originally when I saw the 15, I thought it was going to say he was like 17. And I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. And I saw he was 25. And I thought, indecent liberties? I mean, isn't that, I mean, that sounds like, I mean, maybe that's like the street term pedophilia, but I mean, isn't that exactly what the definition would be? And so, yeah, he's now been pulled from the website and I don't know what else is going on, but North Carolina made the news for where we're once again, rivaling Alabama with our crazy, crazy stories. Unfortunately, I, just, I never know where you're going when you start out with pedophilia. <laughs> but no, how crazy is that? I got it. They were hyping that story. So they were like, oh, North Carolina couple. And then boom, 24 hours, someone's like, he was convicted of decent liberties with a child. And uh, yeah, it was, he was scrubbed from the front page pretty quick. Well, I always heard that 15 will get you 20, but apparently that's not the case. Well, that's reason. what I don't understand. I thought, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they had on videotape is what they're saying. I, I don't know. 
I don't, I don't, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know enough about the law, but yeah, I would have thought the guy had to have gone to jail and he has to be a sex offender. Uh, I didn't think you had to have experience with the law to talk about it. <laughs> no, no, I'm learned. saying is, is to be able to understand what happened to the guy. And if he didn't get in trouble, why he didn't, I don't know. Because to me, it seems like this guy should be in prison. I mean, I guess what was that? What did they say? It was 97. Is that what it was? 95. So that was 23 95. years ago. So maybe he could have served 10 years or something. And I mean, that would have been, even then he would have gotten out 13 years ago. So I don't know, but I, I that's possible. I, I don't know if this is the end of the story or the beginning of it, but man, that's, <laughs> that guy's life. That's like Milo. Remember last year, Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos? He was like, I mean, he was on the fast track to stardom in the conservative movement. He had a book deal. He was going to be the keynote at CPAC. He was, you know, editor at Breitbart. I mean, he was a rising star. And then all of a sudden that, that pedophilia comment came out. He got denied from CPAC. They canceled his book deal. He got fired from Breitbart. And I just saw today that he was representing himself in a lawsuit against Simon and Schuster, trying to sue him, arguing he broke the contract. He lost all of his attorneys. He was defending himself and eventually just decided anymore and dropped the case. And I said, man, that was, I mean, talk about a year. I mean, that he went from on the verge of being like a leader of the conservative movement to now he's like a footnote, if that at best. And this guy in 24 hours went from being on the front page of a Trump dating website to now everybody knows about his uh, conviction for indecent liberties with a 15 year old. So hey, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. You know, that's true. Wise man once said that, especially in the Trump movement. Apparently, <laughs> that seems more relevant than anything else. You know, fast, those are both Trump supporters. When when the train's fast moving, you can get thrown off of it very very quickly as well. That's what people don't realize. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. That it, that's just that that's a. I just saw that story and said that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like within 24 hours, it went from wow, look at that North Carolina to oh my god, those guys are a North Carolina couple. <laughs> like just. Very, very quick turnaround. Hey, we've got a long way to go before we're Florida in the news, though. So we got to keep aiming a little higher. Do you know why Florida always makes the news for those crazy stories? Because it's. I had a, an attorney buddy of mine tell me this. The sun? It's because. Well, yeah, that's, that doesn't help. <laughs> they said it's because North uh, or Florida has an open uh, record. It's an open record state where oh. I guess every other state you actually have to you know send like a, a FOIA request to get the information. Florida, they just release it. And so that's why there's so many stories that come out of Florida because they don't they they just freely pass that information on. Every other state, it's harder to get the information. And so, so that's the, why Florida's always making the news. Yeah, so it's the sunshine laws of the sunshine state. <laughs> Who would have known? That's pretty good. We should end it there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not gonna get any better. Well, thank you, Tyler, for joining me again, despite your um Stalinistic tendency tendencies, but uh We'll let that go. We'll see what we can do next time. We've got two weeks in a row. So, you know, if, if we That's go for the hat, there's going to be some exciting stuff. And I know there's some great articles <laughs> that we did not get to this time talking about some yeah. crazy um, backroom dealings going on at UNC Wilmington. So I always love the higher education discussions. So we'll definitely have to talk about that next week. And, um, you know, who who knows what else is going to what other subjects Tyler has no context uh, involving that he will want to talk about next week as well. So, well, the pipeline story is not going anywhere. In fact, I think it's heating up. So, we'll definitely get to that at some point. Sounds good, my friend. Well, uh, we'll do it again next week. All right, man. I'll see you, dude.